Jesus' name, we thank you so much that we have again been ushered into your throne of grace. Uh, Lord God, that uh, not only uh, was that an introduction, Lord God, but that's also what it's like to worship you. Lord God, that, uh, that worship is, is not uh, something that we do before the main event, because when we get to heaven, worship will be the main event. Uh, but Lord God, as we come to your word today now, we ask you, Lord God, that with the Holy Spirit that you would take your holy and righteous whole, Lord God, and turn up the soil of our hearts. That because of all the hardness and frustration and disappointment that we have experienced this week, hold that not against us. That we may see your glorious hand, Lord God, touch us today. Let us not be the same today, Lord God. We've already repented of our sins. We do again just so we can be in your presence today. So now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel 12, 4, that the signs of the end of days are this. It says, one, that many will roam about, that people are going here and there, here and there. And we see it all the time. Where are you going? Folks ain't going nowhere. But he says, many will roam about. And then he says, knowledge will increase. Knowledge will increase? Some of you may remember, like me, remember the days that you needed to do a research project or some project for your class? And you had to go into the stacks of the library. Some of those books looked like they had not been touched in decades. I remember picking up some books one time that must have had about an inch of dust on them. Literally, when I said decades, it looked like no one has touched that book in over 20 years. But part of the process was spending time just to find an appropriate list of books that we needed to look through. So it wasn't just a matter of hitting a button and boom, 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 everything is there. Oftentimes, you would spend days just gathering a list of books so you can one day start your research. Remember combing through the card catalogs? Microfiche. Do they still use that today? Maybe they do. Microfiche. Somebody say, yeah. I'm not sure. Any of you remember Atla? Know who Atla is? I remember Atla. It was, it was, uh, Atla was this, this antiquated computer.
program for educators that was supposed to search through all the education material. But oftentimes that you ended up uh, having to visit places yourself because Allah didn't do a good job. And then there was, uh, you, you know how you needed to make the librarian your best friend? Because uh, if you needed to find something and you couldn't find it in Atlo, you couldn't find it in Microfiche, or you couldn't find it in the card catalog, uh, the librarian knew where everything was, supposedly. Remember the days that the librarian said, well, that book is not here. You said, but right here it says, you know, uh, that book belongs to such and such a library. So now you have to make a trip to another library just to get a book or to ask for it on loan. So knowledge, knowledge was a slow process. Now information is available to you, to me, right at the tip of our fingers. Much of that same information that oftentimes took days and sometimes it took weeks just to get a list or to get a book you can get that same information right now you don't have to leave the church building you don't have to leave the sanctuary and you don't have to get out of your seat you know all you have to do is ask your phone there's Google Apple has Siri, Microsoft has Cortana, Amazon has Echo. Uh, you don't even have to use your finger. All you have to do is say, uh, hey, Siri, uh, what's up, Cortana? Right? Just speak, and instantly the information is right at hand. So. In the book of Daniel, when it says that knowledge will increase, we're living in those times right now. But the question remains on the table is this. Since knowledge has increased exponentially uh, just during the course of my lifetime, the last 20 years, has life gotten exponentially better has life really improved that much since knowledge has increased more and more year after year I remember the time that I thought I was hot stuff because my computer had 64 K I did and I was going to upgrade it to the ultimate, which was, I think it was 128K. And then we thought, man, when the hard drives came out, if you had a, a 20 meg hard drive or, or, or 5 or 10 meg hard drive, you would never, ever in your lifetime need another hard drive. Never. Now, most of your phones have more information on it and then probably about two or three or four hundred of computers that I had, my very first one. But has life gotten better? People are still shooting each other on the streets. There's still wars, 
raging all over the place. Just yesterday, North Korea launches a missile saying, oh, we're just having fun. All the mistrust, poverty, and disease, and anything else you can happen. Uh, what happened when Mr. Assange said, uh, he, he allowed WikiLeaks to come out with the information. Well, has life improved? Seems like things have gotten worse. You see, we can have truth and, and know about the truth as much as we want, but if uh, there is no real attempt of integrating that truth into our hearts, that the truth or the knowledge that we have is completely useless. Remember when you once ignored the truth? Your mother, your father, your mama, your daddy told you don't you do X, Y, and Z and you knew that they were just antiquated old folks that don't know what they were talking about. And then you end up turning around and your life turned upside down. You see, what happens when you ignore the truth that you can get yourself into a world of trouble. Well, how many people and on how many Sundays have heard the truth of God's word week after week after week and they walk out of church week after week after week and their lives are never changed? See? There's something that we must do with truth, and if we don't do anything with truth, then it is completely no good to us. It's almost like sometimes, you know, some folks are like telling God, I dare you to change me. I dare you. I'm going to come to church all the time, and I dare you to change me. Well, for the people of Nazareth, And for us, the truth of God's word, the truth of God's word, that it can and it is capable of producing three feelings in us. Three. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2a. The truth of God's word is capable of creating three fillings in, in us. Verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. That first feeling that the truth of God's word can produce in us is a feeling of astonishment. See, Jesus, he desired to deliver uh, the message of grace to the people of his hometown. And I think this is one of the most natural things for us to do. Uh, you, you know, if you could figure out a way, as a matter of fact, here, here's a story. I hope, uh, I hope my family or anyone else is not embarrassed by it. But I remember years ago, remember they used to hand out the government cheese? Remember those big blocks of cheese? 
And it seemed like everybody had cheeks, right? This, the truth, right here it is, right? The truth of this big block of cheese was that you could have it too. So what you would typically do is you go tell somebody else how you can get a block of cheese yourself. Amen? You see, when there's good news, now I'm not sure how many of you think that a block of cheese is good news, but I'm telling you, a block of cheese can, can make a lot of macaroni and cheese, and a block of cheese can make a whole lot of uh, a grilled cheese sandwiches. Amen? So, when you have good news, you try to spread that good news to everybody that you know. So imagine now Jesus Christ, all God, he wants to deliver the good news of himself to his homeboys back there in Nazareth. So Jesus was operating in the compassion of his divinity while connecting uh, in his humanity with his home folks. So he wanted to bring his divinity, plus uh, connecting with his humanity, the compassion of his humanity with folks of his hometown there. Verse 1, Scripture explicitly tells us here that the disciples, that they followed Jesus to Nazareth. So what? Why even mention Gospel of Mark? that the disciples followed Jesus to Nazareth. Why is it necessary for us to know this? Well, one reason may be because of, uh, of the sense of responsibility that Jesus had for the growth of his disciples. You see what I'm saying? This means that uh, not even his hometown was off limits for his disciples to see. His disciples, uh, they would follow him everywhere he went, when he prayed, they would go back to his hometown. They knew his, his mother, and they knew his brothers. They knew everyone, you see. And if this word is speaking to you, when you're discipling someone, let them into your life. Let them into your house. So it is also good that we, when we disciple others, allow them to see how we live and interact with those who are closest to us. That's an aside. So Jesus makes an official entrance on the Sabbath in which he is able to connect with people who are seeking God, right? He enters into the synagogue. Why are people in the synagogue in the first place? Somehow, in some way, they're trying to connect with God. And so if you want to encourage people to connect with God, you need to be on the lookout for those who have that hole in their hearts. And when you notice that hole in their hearts, then you need to bring the gospel to them. So while teaching in the synagogue, people were astonished because of what he was saying. You know, it's very easy to be astonished by people you thought you knew, especially if you see them in a the light you've never seen them before. Oftentimes I've seen uh, over the years uh, teaching elementary and, and high school students that, uh, that sometimes at concerts at the end of the year or in the middle of the year uh, when you have parents and other teachers 
come to see these kids, oftentimes I've heard comments like this. They've said things like, I didn't know that that boy could do that. I didn't think that that girl, because they are so crazy in my classroom, I didn't think, I'm completely amazed. Because they were doing something that they deemed to be out of the ordinary or out of uh, their character from what they're familiar with. So the people here looking at Jesus teach in the synagogue, they were absolutely amazed. They were astonished. It's very interesting that the word astonished, uh, that it means to be shocked or uh, to drive or to strike out as an example with fear. So what was driven out was what the people had traditionally thought about uh, their aspect of their religious heritage. As it was formally presented by the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, so they heard the Pharisees and the scribes, but now Jesus, he steps up to the plate. And they're hearing Jesus, and all they could say was that uh, we are astonished. Jesus was never selected to go to seminary. Jesus was never not one day picked to minister alongside the Levites at the temple. So how could he, Mr. Jesus, all of a sudden begin to teach with such vigor and great depth of knowledge? For the Nazarites, this was their wow moment. <laughs> the teachings of Jesus were so radical that it forced them uh, to respond uh, to God and their relationship with him. In other words, we say this another way. When the Nazarites, when they saw and they heard Jesus, we would say, you know what? Jesus, those teachings, that blew me away. That completely blew me away. That inner response can move us beyond our normal way of thinking or comprehending things. But would they have the courage, or do you have the courage to accept that? So the people were blown away or astonished by what Jesus taught. Sometimes it doesn't take much, other times it takes a lot. But yet, if we are not careful, our astonishment at the teachings and the truth of God's word can transform into this next feeling. And it is feeling of scandal. Feeling of scandal. Picking up here in Mark 6-2, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not Mr. Carpenter the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? are not the sisters here with us. That astonishment about Jesus' teaching quickly turned into questions. They had five questions. Five questions about Jesus. Number one, where did this man get these things? See, in the most uh, rabbinical of teachings, it was understood that a teacher taught not because of his own understanding, but he taught as was handed down from him generation after generation after generation, right? And, and, and Jesus comes along, and he's not teaching from generation after generation 
generation because a rabbi only taught you what they taught him. A rabbi only taught a person what was taught him. So if that were the case, they would say to themselves, where did Jesus minister? That's why they were blown away. The next question is, why is the wisdom given to him? Why? What is this wisdom that was given to him? The wisdom that he had was purely the wisdom that only God conveys. It's not just the wisdom that God conveys. You see, Jesus himself, that he is God, not was God, amen? That Jesus, what? He is. God. Where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God and the Word. Well, no, it was not a God, but the Word was God. So this Logos, this great reasoning, this Word is God is Jesus. They ask the question, well, how are such mighty works done by His hands? all these things. Where did he get it? How was he able to do this by his hands? The miracle. The miracle. And their attempt to grasp the magnitude of what Jesus was teaching. They were attributing all types of things. Are you this? Are you this? Have you ever ran into a person that does that? You did something really good and they're trying to question, trying to figure you out. Are you this? Are you that? How did you do this? And one guy uh, I, I, I'll never forget. Noble Davis knows who this guy is, probably tell him later. One guy we were on a performance one time, he comes up to me and says, How do I do what? How do you play those notes? Same way you play your notes, but I have. He says, But oh, don't you have some kind of trick? I'm like, No, there is no trick. I just practice, right? practice on something, I practice on something. He says, can I see your horn? He's looking at my horn. Well, did you have this? Did you have this altar? I said, nothing is altar. It's the same thing that came off the shelf just like yours. And then he took his finger up and he I'm like, man, I'm already playing free. And now, you don't stick your nasty finger in my that's not it. I said, well, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Don't stick your hand in my mouthpiece again. See, people try to figure out. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, talk about Jesus. John the Baptist had Word, the Greek word called technical. 
right? Word uh, Technicon simply means builder, which means this, that he could have been a builder of wood. He also could have been a builder or a sculptor of stone. But he also could have been a builder or a worker of I had a crazy thought that I was going to just ask Worthless, no one does good, 
not even one. First, there was this fascination or astonishment with truth. And then there was offense. There was scandal. Takes us to the next one. Building of skepticism. Mark chapter 6, verses 4 and 6. And Jesus said to them, The prophet is not without honor, except his own his hometown and among his relatives and his household. He could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on the sick people and healed them. Marvel because of their unbelief. He went about among the villages. Full honor is not often fully appreciated. No, sometimes when you're trying to go wherever God wants you to go, sometimes you got to leave all those folks behind. folks that just want to pull you down, don't look up 20, 30 years, you're going to be something. I just, I just went over to my mom's house uh, this past week, and uh, I saw some guy that we should talk about. Bible study, you got a 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 Bible study
His glory. He it gives you the depth of His word, uh, and, and then when you reject it, He says, "And none of those who despise Me shall see it." Mind questioning by the people of Nazareth again reflects the obstinate hearts that stake their eternity not in the Lord, but in their own ability to know more about God than God. We must also remember that even His family had rejected Him back in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. So, unbelief fights against God. Jesus could not, says here, Mark 6, 5, he could not do many mighty works there because of the presence of unbelief among the people. In other words, the word of language says that he was not able, had no power or ability. But it was not that Jesus tried doing miraculous work he couldn't do it. Oh, man, I tried to do something and I couldn't do it. Unbelief did not possess a certain amount of control over the power and the authority of Jesus Christ in his ministry. See, this is the way it works. Jesus' miracles, they are part of his ministry and his mission. God's plan was to connect people uh, through his uh, through his deeds and through their needs that he would call them unto himself. So the miracles of Jesus Christ were that first step and an open door possibility of seeing God at work in their life. Remember now, uh, the pastor said that a, a, a few of them in verse five in chapter six of Mark, a, a few folks were still healed. So if he didn't have any power, no one would have been healed. See, if, if, if God would just stand on a corner and just do tricks, he would be nothing but magicians. This is why we reject the, the false gospel that says that Jesus was 
12 years old that he was standing around and he grabbed some dirt and he added spit or water, whatever it was, and he formed a dub and then he blew on the dub or all the other night of the country being a real bird. Just standing around said, let's see here, let me do this trick for myself. Why we reject a gospel such as that because that runs counter never did jesus do a miracle because it wasn't nothing else to do it's crazy so the people of nazareth they probably would not have agreed with jesus about not being an unbeliever they believed that jesus was not the person of god and that that god would not use this person to bring in his kingdom to them one thing we must constantly be on the watch for in our walk as disciples of Christ is how is our relationship? Ask yourself that question. How is my relationship going with Jesus Christ right now? Must be one founded and sustained in faith, without which we will begin to see the teachings and ministry of Jesus clearly as You will fall into unbelief. If you do not foster a constant relationship with Jesus Christ, it is true that he has done a work in our life, but if we're going to be built up, built up in our faith, we must continuously nurture that relationship. When we see Jesus teaching a scandal, next transition, this results in a schism between us and the Lord. Schism between us and his church schism between us and his people. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 24 and 25. Jesus saying, okay. Pay attention to what you hear. Measure you it will be measured. Still more to be added. To the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, what he has will be taken. Romans has that same thought in chapter 1. God and also 